Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Liz Egner with Remax in Wyoming, Pennsylvania. Last year, she closed 147 transactions with a total sales volume of $25 million. Her average sales price was $174,000, of which 49% were buyers and 51% were sellers. She operates a team with six members, two listing and selling partners, one buyer specialist, one client care manager, one closing coordinator, and one team leader. Liz Egner is the team leader of the Liz Egner Group. She's been an agent for 25 years and works the Berks County market. In this call, Liz talks about being an elementary school teacher before jumping into real estate. The year she maxed out selling 95 homes with two assistants and the decision to add agent partners to the team to gain more time. How she gets 90% of her business by repeating referrals from her past clients and sphere of influence. Why she reduced the size of her past client database. Detailed descriptions of her four past client party events per year. Why she rotates the location, time, and focus of each event. The high value of past client visits. Why she created her own private networking leads group and the rewards. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Liz. Hi, Mike. Hey, Liz. It's great to have you here. Liz, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Prior to real estate, I was a teacher. I was originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and got a teaching job in Berks County, where I now work. And for 13 years, I taught at the Conrad Weiser School District. I taught little children, elementary school, uh, physical education. And my colleagues and I ran an environmental camp, and I coached uh, field hockey and basketball. What made you decide to get into real estate? Well, I, I loved the kids, and I really did enjoy them and what I was doing in the coaching. But I, I think it was just time for a change. I found it a little confining and uh, change doesn't happen real, real quickly in education, so I think it was just time for me to do something else. How did you pick real estate? Did a friend recommend you'd be good at it, or, or did you know somebody who was in the field? My husband had a, an excavation company, so in the summers I ran camps or I was going to grad school, and then I did some work for him. And uh, he was doing work with a builder, and a friend of ours was in real estate, and I thought that that looked really interesting. And, and like, I don't like to do just one thing. Even when I taught, I taught at four schools and I traveled and was, was very busy with running camps and, te- and coaching. I was always doing something different. So it appeared to me that this would be 
something that was different every day, and, and little did I know how different every day would be. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think that's why. I just found it, it just seemed challenging. So I just kind of went cold turkey right from teaching full-time into real estate. When you got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I think it was a pretty fast start. I was like, I was very excited to to begin. I mean, I kept actually pesting the the gentleman that hired me because I I wanted to begin before my license was ready. And you know, you can't do that. So um, I think it was fast, probably because I I do I do like change and I and I like some to learn something new. Uh, so anytime there was something free going on, a free seminar, a chamber event, a breakfast, a lunch, I was there. And from teaching and coaching, you know, I knew a lot of people. So I had a, a database that was reasonable to start out with. And I just, you know, I had no trouble contacting people and telling them what I was doing because I was, I was very excited about it. So I would say I had a pretty fast start. How long have you been in the business? Well, I left teaching in 88 and, and immediately started in real estate in 1988. So that's 26 years. How many homes did you sell last year? Last year, with three other agents and myself, we sold 147 homes, and our sales volume was between 25 and 26 million. How many homes did you sell in your best year? Actually, I had, I had to go back and look at, I thought my best year was 2006, but it was actually 2005, and we sold 170 homes. There were four of us, and I'd say that volume was between 35 and 36 million. Liz, where is Wyoming, Pennsylvania? Wyoming is a borough um, in Berks County, and our office happens to be in Wyoming, which is near Spring Township, kind of the hub. But there's a lot of uh, office buildings here, so a lot of the real estate and title companies have settled here. And, and Berks County is a proximity is, is terrific because we're about an hour from Philadelphia, about two hours to get to New York, close to the Poconos, you can get down the shore in New Jersey, two hours and 15 minutes. So it's a rather conservative, peaceful county, but we are very close to, like a really more, more of a bedroom community of Philadelphia without the traffic. Do you know the approximate population there? In Berks County, it's the guesstimate for 2013 is 413,521. You know, not a huge place, but not, not teeny either. Describe the area there. You said a bedroom community. Is it, is it like suburb, the area, the market that you work? Or since it's a county, is it spread out? It was a very rural area, very country. When I first arrived here, the school district in which I taught uh, was mostly farmlands. And we had Mennonite children in the school, lots of dairy farmers, their kids went to school there. Now, a lot of, not a lot of our farmland, but m- many acres have been used up for suburban development. So we're not, it's not like we don't have communities where there's 5,000 homes and, um, you know, it, it's really kind of spread out. Can you describe your current market? Our median price range is, is around 155. It's up a little bit. The most activity right now is occurring below 200. Between two and 250 isn't too bad. Once you once you go across three, the market slows off, and and we don't have a strong luxury market. If you looked at the surrounding counties near Philadelphia, like Montgomery County and Chester County, you'll have you know of of quite a variety of homes that are over 500 and over a million. That doesn't happen here all that often, so that niche is small. 
So therefore, our niche is, you know, we we do first-time home buyers because one of our clients, one of our uh, partners, is a young gal, and she just relates beautifully to them. And then we really work the move-up market. So you know, we'll do more between 150 and 350. And we do some luxury, but no, we don't specialize in that because, again, it's, it wouldn't be wise. It's a very slow market here. Our average days on the market has come down. It's about 90, 95, and we were upwards of 120. We've got 9.6 months of inventory now, so we are still a buyer's market. And our price range I, I trend, I think, is kind of flat. They're inching up very, very slowly, but you know, when people ask me, you know, if I wait another year to sell, can I expect a bigger number? And and it's not really my answer is really typically no. You know, we're we're getting better, but again, we're a conservative area. The counties around us, closer to Philly, will go up much more quickly than we do. It's just the way things work around here. Liz, do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? Like I said, I think mostly the move-up buyer. You know, we work with a lot of families who you know, we sell their first home and then sell them the step-up home. We do some relocation work. We work with some investors. So we try to have a lot of legs to our business so that we're not just relying on one niche. Um, I know in other areas, like if we go to a conference in Arizona, you know, I'll be talking to an agent and they'll say, you know, I specialize in this community. And they just work one community. Well, that community might have 10,000 homes. You know, we don't have that here. So, you know, we can't really focus just on one community. We have to work the county. Liz, can you please list the different ways that you generate leads and business? When people talk about niches, I think what what we really do is we work our people as a farm area. So we very, very heavily work past clients, people that have given us referrals in the past, business people that we work with. And there, anything, we, if it, in my kind of, my theory is if it's not fun, I don't do it. And neither will anybody on my team. So if we're not going to have fun, we're not going to do it. We don't sit down for hours and cold call. We don't do that. We don't do billboards. We don't do posters. We don't do bus stops. We do people. So four times a year, we have a client event of some sort. For instance, um, because we have a variety of people, we have an event that centers around families. We'll do something uh, at a place called uh, Ozzy's nearby, which is like a little community park where they have a little park outside. They have inside, they have go-karts and all kinds of things for kids to do. Or we might do um, something in October where we go to uh, a place, a corn maze, where they have pumpkins and kids can carve. Because those people can't come, the people that have kids, they can't come to a happy hour. You know, they're, they're running their kids to baseball games and football games. So we have an event for, that centers around those people. We have an event for uh, business people where we might go to um, the business that somebody just opened, like someone here just opened a winery. So we invited our business clients to go to the winery to help those folks and to get them to meet others. And in November of every year, we have a, a client appreciation party where we don't like to do anything near the holidays because people are too busy with their families. So Thanksgiving is a, is a nice time to thank people. So we invite anybody that we sold a house to that year, anybody that has given us referrals that year, and anybody else that's kind of the folks that you know are really your cheerleaders. And uh, we have an event, different places. We try to do something with a little, um, kind of a little nice setting. And like this year, we're doing it at the Reading Museum. 
and it's a heavy cocktail hour and we have a, a jazz player and it's just great fun. And then, of course, we follow up. And uh, one, a lot of people know about Buffini, his training. And we do a lot of things that kind of like that he did. And I know from talking to you before, I was a big Howard Britton fan, and he has passed since passed away, and that's a great loss for our industry. And we do a lot of things that I learned there. So um, we visit our clients. You know, we'll give them a call. You know, how you doing? What are you looking forward to? And we just instituted something that we're just calling random acts of kindness. So, you know, if we're talking to a client and they say, oh, you know, my, my daughter's having a baby. I'm so excited. You know, we oh, well, when's she having the baby? And, you know, we'll jot that down and send them something just off the cuff. And it's, you know, it's fun. And, and they're all excited when they get something from us. And we try to personally deliver. Uh, also, at Thanksgiving, we wrote our bunches of pies, and anybody that we sold a home to, we personally delivered the pie. And then throughout the year, we'll we'll usually food because Berks Countyans love to eat. <laughs> we'll we'll deliver um, you know barbecue sauce, ice cream vouchers, different things during the year. So we're always calling, visiting, writing them a note, having parties. We'll do some seminars, and, we, and we'll use some direct mail also. So we just try to keep touching on the people who have been good to us, and uh, that just keeps it going. So it sounds like you get the majority of your business from your past clients' sphere of influence and referrals from them. Is that true? Yeah, there's about 90% of our business is that. Now, I think, you know, and we we, we use technology. Um, our last buyer, uh, Elaine, is 28 years old. And we hired for her for a reason. I wanted a 20-something because social media, YouTube, Facebook, that's all becoming part of our world and we need to do it. But I don't necessarily have to do it. And she does it for us. Now, she, she is us. So, you know, we put, you know, some fun things on there. Um, instead of sending postcards out about turning your clock back, you know, we did a crazy picture of us that'll be on the website and it'll be on Facebook. And then, you know, she touches that whole thing. So we use technology and we follow up technology. And our office at Remax is very, very well organized. We have a great broker owner and great managers, and we have a, a great a person on staff that is a technology expert. And we do follow up all the leads because we're on every website we can get on. But really, you know, only we get a lot of leads from the Internet, but only about 2% of them result in a, in a closing. So if I'm going to spend time and money, I'm going to spend it on the stuff that gets us the most business. So we're always looking to meet new people and bring new people into our database. But, you know, then we go through it and figure out, you know, who are the folks that we, that we want to keep, we say. Uh, and those are the folks that we pop in and visit. Those are the people that we call. Those are the people that we write notes to. Those are the people that we invite to parties. So, and I think I mentioned three events. The fourth event that we do uh, centers around the 20-somethings. Uh, we have a group called GRIP here in the Reading area, the Greater Reading Young Professionals. And it was started, and it was a great idea. It was started to keep young professionals in our area. So we do an, an event that is targeted at them. So we target the young people, the families, and the business people. And then, of course, the people that just, just worked with us. And that, that works out really nicely. Well, Liz, I want to I want to dive deep into the question of how you're generating ninety percent of your business from your past clients and sphere of influence. So let's let's get in there. First of all, your database. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? 
Well, we've cleaned it up and the people that we would mail to or pay a lot of attention to, there's probably about 1,200 in there. There was there were many more, but we've gone through them. Like, you know, if you if you look at a name and you haven't talked to them or visited them, you know, that, that they're probably not the folks that are that are sending you referrals. So you can't you know, you can't pay attention to 5,000 people. But if there's four of us, we can pay attention to a re- reasonable number. You whittled it down to about 1,200. Of the 1,200, how many of those do you think are past clients versus your sphere of influence? Maybe 50-50. Um, can't, can't put my finger on that, but maybe. Who are you adding into the database? Is it everyone you meet, or are you very selective? If we meet people at an open house that seem to be folks that we'd be interested in, we'd put them in. If we meet people at an event, we'd put them in. Anybody, of course, that has been referred to us, we put them in. And then, you know, every year we'll, we'll look at it. And, you know, I say to everybody, you know, look through this. If there's somebody in there you don't recognize, then we're not, we're, it's, it's not hitting it, so we need to get rid of them. So then we'll delete that person from the database. We used to use Agent 2000. I don't know if you remember that program. It was a great program, but it's not, not web-based. And nobody picked it up. So, you know, I kept waiting and waiting. So, actually, we just switched to Realty uh, Juggler. I looked at Top Producer, but it's expensive. And we don't need all that stuff because our office does a lot for us. So, we're, we're using Realty Juggler and that we have an assistant to keep that up to date. And we all have our own Outlook. We all use that. Now, you mentioned that you will remove people from your database, and it sounds like the criteria is you do an annual review, and if you don't recognize that person or you haven't been communicating with that person, it's time to take them out. Yeah, we say remove them from the mailer. In other words, you know, sometimes we don't delete them altogether, but we'll just take out, you know, we have them coded in there, and we'll just take out the mailer part, and then we know those are people we're not going to send any mail to. Those are not the people that we're targeting to visit or call. So your core group are the people that you will mail to and you've tagged them as mailers. Right, right. You have start to go into what you do to stay in touch with your database. You've talked about the client parties, and I want to get into that in just a moment. You've also mentioned mailing. What are you mailing and how often are you mailing it? Years ago, I used to mail 10 times a year. That was before the internet and so on and so forth. So uh, what I'm looking at doing, because our mailing during the recession, we cut that back a little, and now we're moving that back up again. What we mail, we mail two different ways. We'll mail around the listing that we get, you know, just listed cards. We do jumbo cards so that they look a little different from the cards that other people are doing. Most people use the small ones. So we'll do a just listed and a just sold. And then if we have strong success in an area, which we just recently did. We got three listings, got them sold pretty quickly. We're going to do a special mailing announcing, you know, two, two solds, two pendings, yours could be next. And, you know, we have a company that does that for us that Remax has. So we just get them the message. They do the, they create the card. And again, it's a jumbo card. We give them the addresses and then they send it out for us. Other kinds of mailings would be a quarterly newsletter. That would not go out everywhere. That would just go to the people we talk to. And then we have an email newsletter. So for next year, we're, we're revamping those two things because I'd like to do something a little different than we've done in the past to look different than 
because a lot of agents are tending to do the same thing and we don't want to look like that. How often does that email newsletter go out? Monthly. The quarterly newsletter that you're mailing out, it sounds like it's going out to your core database, the 1,200 people. What is in that newsletter? In January, we just kind of go, this is what happened last year, and this is what's going on with our families, and and here's a tip for uh, taxes, or like if we do it over the holidays, here's a tip for for holiday decorating, and we have um, like a gal that's a that'll give us some hints, and a gal that's... uh, she has a company called uh, Butter. I can't Butter. Can't remember the name of her company, but she gets rid of stuff. <laughs> so, so a lot of people need help with that, and we'll get some hints from her. So we we try to involve other businesses again. You know, if you help them, they help you, and so on. So people that are good at that, we'll ask them to contribute to the newsletter. The newsletter. Could you describe it to us? Is it as large as a sheet of paper? You know, what size is it? How many pages? If you take an eight and a half you know, regular letterhead and just make it a trifold. It would look like that. Printing on two sides of an eight and a half by 11 and then trifolded? Yes. Is it like a regular white paper? Do you use a thicker, glossy paper? A little bit nicer paper. You don't want to spend tons, but if you make what you send look a little better, it'll get a little more attention. Do you prepare and ship those out in-house or do you send that off to a mailing house? Our office has a graphic designer that you can subcontract to design it, so she designs it for us. And then they have a company that they use that will will mail it out for us. So we have it done to subcontract it. And Remax Writing takes care of that. Do you list in that newsletter your current listings, any type of statistics in the market? In January, we might do that. And then there's usually a little blurb from our multi-list system is called Trend, T-R-E-N-D. And every quarter they publish the quarterly report. So we'll put that in. So I think you want to talk a little bit about yourself, give them some hints, and then tell them a little bit about the market. So it sounds like it's a little more personal. You're making more of a connection, a personal connection, rather than a lot of statistics Mm -hmm. and real estate information. Yep, yep. Because we've noticed... When we put things on Facebook or on our website, that it, and we do, we put statistics and things about listings, and we do that on a regular basis, and then we insert personal things. And the more personal and the wackier and crazier it is, the more people look at it. I mean, they are all over that. So, you know, statistics are great, but again, if it isn't fun, they're not going to read it. Do you have any type of call to action in the newsletter? At the bottom of everything we we send, you know, we'll put, we're never too busy for your referrals or we're never too busy to answer your questions. Do you track X amount of business that comes from the newsletter or is it more part of your overall marketing plan? Well, what we track, we'll take like every settlement that has occurred, we track where that came from. So we know where everybody and everything that's settled came from. Sometimes though with the net, or if they call in on a sign or an ad, or they don't exactly know how they got there sometimes. So it's hard to pinpoint which website they were on. So for instance, last year of the homes that we sold, 17 of those settlements came from either a call, a sign, or an internet lead. But when we ask people, you know, which website they were on, they often, they don't really know. So we're good at tracking the results. What I think we're not so good at that we're trying to get better at is every time a call comes in, counting how many calls did we get before we got the one that we converted. 
So that's what we're looking to try to do better. Sounds like you're tracking it at the end. You're asking people, say, at the closing table how they got to you as opposed to the beginning. Is that part of it? No, we're asking them in the beginning. But sometimes if it's on the, on a website and we ask them, you know, they don't really know. Now, we know every month when we settle where they came from, and then we total it at the end. You mentioned you have a email newsletter. Do you put that together in-house, or is that a program that you purchase? The email newsletter is generic through Remax of Writing and through the Remax website that's called Main Street. It's a really a canned newsletter, and that's what we're looking to change. So I'm going to be meeting with somebody to do that differently because it's a little too canned for me. So we're going to change that, but we don't write that one. That is done by another company. So what I'd like to do is to get someone to help me change that and then put that on automatic pilot because, you know, you can say, oh, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a newsletter every month. Well, you're not because once you get busy, it's not going to happen. Is there any other mail that you send out to your past clients and sphere of influence? Not that kind of mail other than note. You know, if we know that they've done something, somebody's had a baby, somebody just got married, somebody's kid just scored a goal on the hockey team, you know, we'll send personal notes. Uh, but the generic mailing is just sold, just listed, success in a neighborhood newsletter. Do you have an objective to send out a certain number of personal notes per month or week? Yes. We meet three times a month. Every two weeks, we meet with our office manager, and we, we all have, we call them personal standards. We say, this is how many notes I want to write, how many visits I want to have, uh, how many calls I want to make, how many events we're going to have, and then we track them, and they go on a chart. I like to have somebody hold me accountable, too, so that's why we meet with our office manager, and he puts that on the, you just have it on a spreadsheet for us. And then we can follow up through the year. And it's a, there's a definite trend. I mean, it's real easy. The more you do, the more you get. It's not rocket science. What is your goal for number of personal notes? For me, every, every two weeks, we, we do it in a two-week period. I want to I try to do 10 personal visits, 20 personal notes, 15 calls. And we do our lunches too, lunches, coffees. We do those. And I want to do at least a lunch a week. And then I set that goal, and sometimes I exceed it. And if it's a crazy week, I might go below it, but it usually averages out. And there's certain times of the year when they're, you know, over the top, like we're having a client party. So, you know, I'll be calling everybody. We mail them an invitation. But people, I think they they fail at client parties in the beginning because, you know, people get a lot of mail and a lot of email and social media. They're inundated all the time with stuff. So you're, you could send them an invitation and they probably would love to come, but it might sit on their desk. It might be on their pile in their kitchen and they never open it. So, you know, I'll be calling them and saying, you know, just want to say thanks again for the business that you gave us and, you know, look in the mail because we're looking to, looking for, to see you at the party. And our people now are trained. We always say they're party trained. They know and they'll ask us when's the next party. So I think people fail at that only because they don't, in the beginning, pursue it. The day of automatic RSVPing seems to pass. People are so busy, they forget. They forget to RSVP. So we will, you know, I will call them and remind them. And that, I think that's real important. People don't do that. And that's, I think, then they're afraid, oh, I'll have a party, nobody will come. Well, you have to remind them. And we're about to dive into that party. But just a couple more questions here on your contacts throughout the year. So your goal is to have 10 
visits in a two-week period. This sounds like one visit per day. What is a visit? I carry, you know, of course, in my phone and my iPad, we have that realty system where I can plug in a zip code and people will pop up that live there, or I might target certain people. And we, we purchase things that we give out. Um, right now we have, you know, the shopping bags. If you go to a store, instead of using plastic, you have a bag. Okay. We, we bought those and they're logoed. We'll roll them up, tie a ribbon around it. And then uh, our assistant will make, you know, we, we come up with some kind of saying like for that one, I think we said, um, you know, real estate is our bag. If you have any questions, you know, we're never too busy to help. And then we, we have our names and extensions and emails on there. And we, you know, we'll stop at their house, knock on their door. If they're home, great. If they're not, we'll stick it in the door and then give them a call, remind them to look there. We'll deliver candy. We'll deliver recipes. One day where there was a great uh, recipe with uh, beer. <laughs> our clients <laughs> like beer. So, so we delivered the beer with the recipe. So there's always a little saying, there's always something to something on it relating to real estate. And no matter what the price range, people get a kick out of it. You know, they, they enjoy it. So we always have something to give out. Every month there's something else or every for every two months. So we have a whole list for the year of what we're going to give out. And again, that's something you should do at the beginning. So these are unannounced visits. You're just making a drop by. Yep. Yep. Now, when we give out pies, we're going to try to call them and get there because, you know, you don't want to leave a pie out outside somebody's door if they're not going to be home. When it's perishable, we'll try to get there. Um, it's, it's best if you can get there when you know that they're going to be home. And if you know your client, you, you kind of know when they're going to be home. But lots of times it's impossible. So we don't want to stop there and not leave the item. The other thing we do as far as, like, notes, every time... Um, like we all, we all right right now. Uh, the team members are are David, Elaine, and Tricia, and myself are the licensed agents. So, at this point, Elaine is a buyer specialist, but she will list shortly and is beginning to do that now. And David and Tricia list. I work only with sellers, but then I will call their folks once we get a listing. I call them and thank them for the business. That's triggered by an email I get from our assistant because we create a visual tour for the property. So when she sends everybody, she sends us all the email to look at the house on the visual tour, then I know I need to call them. And then when they go under contract, I get a settlement notice and I'll call them again and congratulate them. And then the next thing I need to do is I need to either, either hand deliver or mail to them. We mail a gift card for Lowe's or Home Depot to thank them for the business. So, you know, we've all touched them on the team. They're working directly with one agent. They're working with our assistant, Joanne, who calls them, lets them know when they're going to be marketed, introduces herself as the contact so that if they need something, they can call her instead of calling us all the time because she's at her desk and we're normally on appointments. So we're trying to always touch them so that they get notes from me, even though they're not my direct client because they're working with my team. And then we continue to see them, hopefully, at client parties and the events that we have and, you know, checking in with them, how you doing. So, you know, we're always trying to surround them with all of us, not just one of us. You mentioned your pie giveaway, and you also mentioned that you're making deliveries. Let's talk about that. So how many pies are you delivering per season? Well, we deliver the pies at Thanksgiving, and then at Christmas, we deliver cookies. So. 
we'll order pies from a local baker. We'll get a good bulk price. And then Joanne, our assistant, gives us a list. You know, here's our list of everybody you've sold a home to. Or here's your list of people, you know, that your listings that you sold. And then we will deliver them. So if we've sold 150 homes, we're delivering 150 pies divided by four. So we'll all run with that. Are you just delivering to the people who have sold in the last year? They've done business with you in the last year? Correct. So for 2014, in November, we'll deliver everybody who settled on a home from January 1st through that date. And then we'll do the cookies for the December people because they'll settle, you know, at the end of the year. So food's a great thing to give at the holidays. So that's what we do. And, you know, we're, we're, we're a lower-end market. You know, like our, our average sale price in our group is 174 So, you know, we can't buy, like, real big gifts, but every little thing spread out over time is, is better than one big thing all at once. And you mentioned with the pies, you, you don't want to leave them outside, probably not the cookies either. So do you make a call before you deliver? Do you set up a time to drop it off? Yeah, we'll call them and you know, like and say, you know, we're gonna be we're gonna be dropping this these off this week. You know, if you're not gonna be home or you're gonna be away, let us know. But you know, this is what I'm thinking. I'm coming, and then we'll you know make a list, and it works. You know, it's crazy because it's a lot a lot of running around, but it's a great it's fun. You know, you get to see them, and you know, we we drive all over the county delivering to whomever whomever purchased with us. Well, you mentioned you divide the, the work among you and your team. So it sounds like four of you are delivering. So maybe 35 deliveries each. That becomes more manageable. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We used to have um, a gift basket sent. We used to send something. A delivery person did that. And then it was suggested that we do it personally. And at first I was like, oh, my word. <laughs> are we going to get that done? But we did. And it is a better way to do it. Because they're like, wow, you came to my house. You visited me. You, know, you did something for me. It's, it's nice. A personal connection. Absolutely. Do you put anything unique, say, on the pie box? We have a sticker that we put on there, you know, thanking them for the business, wishing them a happy Thanksgiving. Every time we deliver something, there's a sticker that goes with it. Excellent. Let's talk about your parties. You mentioned... Your goal is four parties per year. Is your objective one a quarter? Yes. In um, January, we'll be doing the one that was for the younger folks. I talked about the GRIP group. We will do our one for the kids either in October, if we do it for the fall, like for the hayrides and the pumpkins, or we'll do it in May if it's an indoor event. The business people we did this year in September... And the client party is always in November. It's usually the like the second Thursday in November. The January party, you said that's for the younger people. So again, it sounds like you're you're also trying to break your past client group up into smaller subgroups so that you can appeal to different people in your group. So you said January is the younger people, the grip group. What are you doing for them? In our office, there's 130 agents here at Remax of Reading, and we have a nice facility. And in our lower level, there's a big conference room and a whiteboard, and you can probably fit 150 people in there for a conference. But what we'll do is, is move the tables around, and we'll have wine and beverages and some light hors d'oeuvres, and Elaine will give a brief overview of the market for them, and then we'll just eat, drink, and be merry. It's that simple. What is the theme or the objective of the meeting? Is it just to do a market report or a market review? Well, 
with grip, they go to different businesses and each business will have, you know, like a, just a networking event for them. So the idea is for them to network with each other. And then for Elaine, they want, we want her to have them to recognize her as their contact. We'll welcome them. We'll give them some information and we'll ask them for business and then they'll visit with each other. Just do basic old fashioned networking. I mean, people think that the 20 somethings don't communicate. I hear people saying that and I, and that's completely ridiculous. They don't stop communicating. <laughs> they're communicating all the time and they communicate at, they network they do face-to-face networking and this grip group does it well so we're going to have an event for them so the purpose is just basic networking you're tapping into an existing networking group and you're helping your team member elaine set herself apart in the group by hosting one of the events Correct. My philosophy is is really to their horns. I don't want it to be all about me because I I think that couldn't create failure. Um, And it has to be all about each of them. So each of them has a little niche of people and we try to do things for them. And does your whole team show up for that event? Yes. Yep. We'll we'll all go. Mm -hmm. We all go. to. None of us want to miss a party. (laughs) <laughs> we can't miss a party. <laughs> How many people do you think are going to show up in January for the GRIP event? In January, we're thinking maybe 25, maybe 30. When we have the kid event, we might get, when, when we count every, all the people, the little people and the moms and dads, uh, we probably had 35 there. When we did the Moonlight Winery, we probably had about 30 there. Now, our client event will have about 125, our appreciation party. And, you know, sometimes folks, um, and, it, and it doesn't, even if they don't come, it's okay. You invited them and you called them and they appreciate it, even if they can't make it. You said you have a kid event in October and a hayride and pumpkins. Describe that event to us. Well, we didn't do the pumpkin one yet. We're going to do that one next year. This past year, we did the event at Ozzy's. They have go-karts. They have a climbing center. They have uh, an outdoor miniature golf. We did that in 2014. 2015, in October, we're going to go to, it's called Duncan's Maze. They have a maze and pumpkin carving and hay rides and hot dog roasting. We're going to mix it up. And then we have the Reading Phillies here, which is terrific. Uh, they do great things for kids. So that's another kid thing that we can do. So we'll mix, we'll try to mix up what we do for that particular group also. So let's talk about the Aussies. You said you do that in May. You said, what, about 35 people showed up? Mm-hmm. Yep. How much was the overall cost of the entire event for you? For Aussies, about 1100 And we buy them lunch. After the event, did you see any immediate return on your investment, any business? Well, what seems to happen every time we have an event is we seem to get referrals, you know, and people will, like, again, we call them, you know, we just sent out an invitation for the kid event, hope you can make it. If not, maybe you can make the next one. And then after the event, we, we, like, we took pictures of them and then printed the picture and put it in a little frame. And then we put, we put pictures of the parties that we have on Facebook and on our, on our webpage. So we'll call them and say, you know, hey, look, the pictures are posted, you know, if you want to go see them or just, you know, sorry, you couldn't make it. So again, we're calling them, we're inviting them, we're following up, just like you do with a lead. And you get the lead, you call and see if they want to buy a home, what do they need? Yeah, we do the same thing with the people coming to events. You know, it was so nice to see you. Thank you for coming. I send them a note. 
And if they didn't make it, I'll call them and say, we'll have another party next year. Hope you can make that one. And, you know, you get answering machines a lot or you get their voicemail a lot, but, but you called them. It's better when you can get them, but, you know, you called them. And let's talk about the promotional aspect and how you go about that process. So you decide you're going to do it at Aussies. Then do you go out to your entire database and invite them? Is it a select group? It's a select group. It's those people that we know we're going to send us business. We'll go through, like we have them identified and coded now. Aussies group, business group, client appreciation party, grip. We know who they are. And then we'll look at our list and say, you know, we, do we need to add anybody to this? So, you know, it, it, sometimes people just get stuck. They think it's an overwhelming task, and it really isn't. But you need to set it up now. If you're going to do something in 2015, you need to set it up now. And now's a good time. November, December, January is a great, that's when you should business plan. So if you pick your dates and your events and set it up ahead of time, the only thing you have to do is send out the invitation and call them. So let's walk through the offer, the the invitation. So it sounds like you mail something and then you also call. What exactly do you mail out to them? Well, again, you have to know your audience. We mail out a regular invitation, you know, who, where, what, when, RSVP. And then we also, we'll scan it and email it too. So we email, mail, call. And of course, if it's Elaine, she puts a message on Facebook. Our people don't, wouldn't get that. Hers do. So, you know, I just, you have to know how to communicate. So the challenge nowadays is if you have a variety of people, you need to communicate in a variety of ways. So we mail, we email, we call, we Facebook, we do all that. Are you mailing out a postcard, a letter? We put it in an envelope on a a letterhead. Now that's for three of the events. For our client party, it's more elegant looking. And it's on an eight, eight and a half by 11 that we fold in half. And it's, it's fancier because the event is fancier. The events at the Reading Museum, we have, um, which is a very pretty facility. And we have a, a jazz player, a guitar player playing background music. Um, and it's a, it's a walk around cocktail party. And we have a photographer there taking pictures and doing little photo booth things. And we'll make a little speech because there's purpose to the party and we remind them. So at each of the parties, you do make an announcement? Yep, yep. And and it's so funny. I put the same thing on it every year and people every year wonder what it's going to (laughs) be. It's just, you know, know, I say, you know, thank you very much for coming. We talked to them about the success we've had during the year and that it's all because of them. And then, you know, I usually have a kid around because David and Tricia, two of my teammates, have, you know, kids that need to go to college. And, um, you know, I'll always say, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping to put the children through college, so keep those referrals coming, you know. So, and, and then we get away with that because it's just who we are. And we're, we're, like I said, if it's not fun, we don't do it. So we remind them of that. And, um, and they're, they're helpful. They, we get referrals all the time. And of course, when you get a referral, immediately that note should go out or a gift should go out. And it doesn't have to be a a big deal. I mean, I send a note with a Starbucks card in it. And then if somebody's sending repeated referrals, then then I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do more. So if someone sends you a referral, you immediately send out a thank you card? Immediately. Even if it never 
because some referrals don't, you know, they don't happen. You know, maybe the people decide not to move or they can't move or they thought they could sell their house and they're upside down, but that person thought of you. So, you know, you, that, that's a thank you. And then, you know, once the people settle, if they do indeed become a transaction, then, you know, they need to get thanked again. It, it's, it's just all the stuff you learned in kindergarten, you know, that, that we forget. It's, it, it's really, it's not hard, um, but sometimes it's not easy because we get so busy. So you have to try to systemize everything and have certain things that happen all the time. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Let's talk about your past client party it sounds like that's one of your major events. And you said, what month do you do that in? November? November, yep. So you do that in November. You invite everyone who has closed a transaction with you during the last year or referred someone. You mentioned that you get maybe 135 or so people there. And that's pretty high. It is high. Yeah, because they, they who say things, they say, you know, if you uh, mail something out and have a party, you might get 10% of the people. Well, we'll get 50. I mean, we get a very strong attendance. And, and we have two vendors that co-sponsor with us, two lenders that get a lot of our business, contribute an amount of money. And, of course, they show up and we advertise them in the invitation and we advertise them there. Um, you know, we you know, thank you, thank you for our, we have a sign, thank you for our sponsors. And then in the follow-up, I'll include their cards when I thank everyone for coming so that we try to, you know, reinforce that they've helped us. You've got a client appreciation party coming up here in November. Let's chat about how that's going to look. You're planning it out now. Where is it going to be? Last year, we did this at the Reading Public Museum, and we're doing it again because everybody loved it. So it starts at 5. If people want to go on a tour of the museum from 5 to 5.30, there's a tour. And then 5.30, you know, we, we have uh, the food begins, the guitar player begins, the drinks begin. And then we'll be there till 8 o'clock, um, you know, just visiting with just like a cocktail party anywhere, visiting with people, chatting. And at about 6.30 is when we'll make the announcement. And this year, what I'm, I didn't even talk to my team about this yet, but we did a, a kind of a wacky video. Uh, this winter was so brutal here. I don't where Where do you live? Where are you calling from? I'm in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Oh, okay. Well, this will be nothing for you. We had lots of snow, which you always do, <laughs> but we, we were really snowed in and it was one of the most, uh, the coldest winters we've ever had. So we actually went outside in our short and flip-flops and did um, a video in the snow to that song, Happy, and put it on Facebook and put it on our website just to kind of cheer people up. So normally, you know, I make a speech and, uh, and that's it. But I think I might make the speech and we might play that video. Because again, a lot of our clients, they're not on Facebook. They don't know about it. So we'll, we'll do that just for a laugh. And then talk, you know, end on a serious note, thanking them again. So it's fun. When you're setting up that event, do you have a registration table at the front of the room? We do. Mm-hmm. We do. Julianne, our assistant, takes care of that, and we make name tags for people. So when they walk in, it's obviously there's a place where they check in, because if you don't do that, then you don't know who to follow up with. So she has a list of everybody that she sent an invitation to, and she'll check them off and give them a name tag. And it's nice, and they get to meet her, because usually, you know, she's a voice on the phone, but they don't really see her till the party. And we have a closing coordinator also that once after the transaction closes 
after the, the agreement is signed, Joanne steps out of the picture and our closing coordinator, Linda, steps in. And they both come to the party. And we invite agents who have given us referrals, anybody, who, anybody who's given us a referral. Our title, our title person comes because they do such you know, great work for us. So you invite your vendors also? We do. Do you have signage up around the room? We do. On every table last year, we, what we did is at every table we had a balloon as a centerpiece. And it's not really a sit down, but, you know, there's tables everywhere. And, you know, like a big thank you written on the balloon, like in silver or gold. And then on every table, we had a little, um, oh, maybe it was a four by six frame. And in it, we had things that said, you know, trust, gratitude, and little different quotes about trust and gratitude at every table. So when people walk in, there's a sign welcoming them. There's a sign talking, you know, thanking our two sponsors. And then at every table, there's something about thanks and gratitude and trust. So this is not a a sit-down meal. This is, as you mentioned, it's more of a a mingle, a a cocktail party. So you have some drink and hors d'oeuvres? Yes, have your hors d'oeuvres. It's kind of a lot of the weddings are happening that way nowadays. Everybody's, because you mingle better. If people sit, they don't get up. So if, if there's not like typical sitting, you know, then everybody's walking around talking and it's nice and it's catered. You know, we have a caterer set up. So this year will be even easier because we already did it at this place. You mentioned you have sponsors. Oh, you said they have signs. Are these banners on the walls thanking your sponsors? No, what we did is we got two big artist easels and put them right at the registration table and Joanne made the signs that we put on there so that everybody sees it. And then when I make that speech, we introduce them and, and, you know, again, thank them so that people see who they are. How much does an event like this cost for 135 people? Last year it was about 3,500 and each mortgage officer donated 500. So it sounds like you had two sponsors and they were both uh, mortgage companies. Yes. And they're, and each of them is aware that the other is participating. You know, we ask them and tell them it'll be you in this one and, and they're, 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 they're the two that we give the bulk of our business to. So they're, you know, they're happy to come. We wouldn't ask anybody, you know, unless we were, you know, giving to them. You don't want to just, I don't just want their money. I want, you know, I want to give, give business to them. So you had two sponsors, both mortgage companies. They each participated and co-sponsored the event at $500 a piece, which covers $1,000. And, and so that reduced your overall cost to about 2500 Right. You said that your return is that throughout the year you get a lot of referrals. Let's break that out. I didn't ask at the beginning. You said 90% of your business is coming from past clients and sphere of influence and referrals. How much of that is a referral versus someone repeating? Again, I'm, I'm going to say it might be 50-50. And we do work with investors. So, you know, investors, you know, buy continually. So... And that's always repeat. And then we try to, you know, we try to develop around a family too. You know, if we sell mom's house, we want to sell the daughter's house and the son's house. And that happens a lot. What percentage of your business do you think is working with investors? Well, we had, we work with one, two, three, well, now Elaine, four of them. And I would say maybe we did 20 transactions total. So it's about uh, 15% of your business or so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Let's now talk about specifically your past client party and the promotion. You're leading up to it right now. You're right in the middle of it. What is your schedule for an invitation and promotion of the event? Invitations will go out and I will begin to make calls. They will RSVP. And again, a lot of them are party trained. So (laughs) they will usually get back to us. If you do it too far in advance, they lose the invitation, they forget. So you want to be close. You know, I'd say within two weeks, they, you, they should have an invitation in their hand. And then you want to be calling because you, sometimes you'll call and say, oh, yeah, I forgot to look at that. You know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll get back to you. So, you know, you, you have to mail and you have to remind them. So we are just about, you know, two weeks. Could you do a quick role play with us and tell us how you would make that phone call? How's that phone call invitation go? Sure, sure. So if I'm sending one to you, if I get your answering machine or I get you, if I get you, you know, we usually have a little conversation, but if I get your machine, uh, you know, I would just say, hi, Mike, it's Liz Egner from the Egner Group. Just giving you a heads up, you may have just gotten or you will get an invitation to our annual party. So please make sure you take a look at it. We just want to invite people like you who have thought about us all year and give us referrals. And we've had the pleasure of helping you buy or sell a home. So please get back to us. We'd love to thank you in person. And we look forward to seeing you. And, and, you know, it's as simple as that. First time you do it, I think people should write a little script so you don't forget. And that's all we'll do. And then when I call to follow up after the party, I will call and thank them for coming. And we're asking them at the party for business. And then I'll call them afterwards and thank them for coming and say, and once again, we look forward to your future referral. So I'm asking them again. So with each party, you have one mail piece going out and two phone calls that are being made, which is promoting the party and also marketing you. Right, right. We're, I think, somewhat of a soft approach, um, but, but it's a soft, continual approach. And it's working. Well, I mean, you know, you look what happens today. You know, your veterinarian calls you after you take your dog to the vet. How's the dog doing? That didn't happen years ago. Doctors are beginning to do it. You know, everybody's beginning to do it. So they're not just comparing us to other real estate people. Business today is changing, and, you know, you need to, you need to be appreciative. Again, you know, things you learned in kindergarten. What I find interesting is that in these parties, you're not inviting past clients that you had over a year ago, anything beyond a year back. When do they get contacted? We contact people continually, and if they give us referrals, we invite them to the party. I have thought about, should we ever do like a big party and invite everybody? But I don't know if I want to do that. I'd have to give that some thought. Maybe that would be a celebration event, like maybe we've been in business 30 years, yada, yada. So we don't invite every single person to the party every single year it would be really large. And then we can't talk to everybody. You know how people have a wedding and the blink it's over and they didn't even get to see everyone. So I don't want that to happen. But, you know, I have to talk to some people maybe that do this and see if they've had a large party and how that works for them. Because I know some people do have annual parties and they invite larger groups of people. I've just never done that. Do you find that the majority of your referrals throughout the year are coming from the people that are attending these parties? Well, yeah, because we once they give us a referral, we invite them. And if they keep giving us referrals, they keep getting invited. And that's how they're staying in your loop. 
Yeah, so, you know, you want every, like there are some people that always give it. They come to, we invite them to every party. Back in your database, do you, I use the word tag, but do you label people as referrers? And if so, do you have, say, uh, a top 25 or a top 50 group of referrers? Actually, Joanne just made that list for us so that we remember to invite them. And we look at, we call it a transaction control sheet. We look at it and see, you know, who referred this year. And it's usually the same people. And now what we need to do is, okay, who are the other people that haven't referred and why not? You know, what do we need to do to, to get that business? So you have to continually do that. Do you recall how many people are on your top referrer list? I would say there might be 50. And that's usually the way it works, right? There are certain people, there's a small subset in your group that are making the majority of the referrals. And what you're doing is you're making sure that you get those people to to get an invitation and hopefully participate in your parties throughout the year. Right, right. So that that way we keep in touch with them. You know, you can't keep in touch with 5,000 people, but you you know, you kind of pull it down, you know, who's who's an A, who's a B, who's a C, who's in A plus. So we want to make sure that we, we, we see them. Liz, do you ask for referrals specifically? Do you, do you directly ask people for referrals or does it more just happen? Both, but we ask. I think if you're not intentional about it, you'll get less. I mean, there are people who refer you just because they like you and they did a good job. People in business, remember that. They get it. It's all about business. But people who aren't don't necessarily understand that that's how you make your living. So I think you need to remind them. So often, you know, at a settlement, you know, we'll, I'll kid around with people and they'll, you know, oh, thank you so much. It was so great and so on and so forth. And I'll say, oh, you know, you're, you'll be on our party list and we like to get in touch with our clients and, you know, keep in touch with you. And, oh, by the way, you didn't read the five print, but now for the rest of your life, you have to tell everybody else that we did a good job. You know, and they laugh. And <laughs> so, I, you know, I think, it, you know, it's prime time. You know, they're very happy and, and you need to ask them and, and then they will. But then you'll need to remind them softly. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. You asked for it at the closing. Where else do you ask for the referral? Well, whenever we send out a note, you know, we have a sticker that we put on the back that says, you know, we're never too busy for your referrals. So that goes right on there. Or if I'm writing a note, I'll say, you know, you know, anybody need help, need have a question, have them give me a call. So you kind of have to train people because, uh, you know, we're not that important. You know, they have a life, people have families and kids and they're busy and they're real happy that we helped them buy and sell a house. But, you know, you're going to fall right out of their head. There's too much going on. So you have to softly stay in it. And the best people to get business from are people who are in business. So, you know, you should have an attorney that you keep in touch with, an accountant that you keep in touch with, an insurance person that you keep in touch with, contractors, people who are in homes when people are getting them ready to sell. We work tightly with a lot of contractors. One of my partners has a a networking group, and a lot of them are electricians and plumbers, and, and he gets a good deal of business from them. Are you in a networking or leads group? Yes. 
David's group is a national group called LATIP. There's a group um, in our area. There's a thing's called, it's called a fish pond. And I remember years ago, I thought, what the heck is that? And what it was is and is, it's a group of men that get together to have dinner once a month and they eat and drink and smoke cigars and get business. So I thought, well, hmm, I'm not interested in smoking cigars, but that sounds good to me. So I started a group of women. It's called WIN, Women in Networking. It's not a national group. We don't have rules. We don't have dues. We don't have any of that. But we meet at lunch once a month, and then we'll have some evening events. And our goal is to help each other get business. And every now and then, somebody will present, um, like we have an accountant in December, she's at lunch, she's going to talk about tax times coming up. She's going to give out some tax tips. And uh, the gals in the group will bring anyone to lunch that they think needs to hear about that. So I have a networking group. David has a networking group. And, you know, that's just enough. We do lots of little things. There's no one thing that that can get us enough business to keep us easily profitable and, and happy. So, you know, we've we've done some networking in that way, too. So if you don't have one, you know, you can start one. How long ago did you start the WIN group? I started that in 2008 when the recession occurred. What have been the results? What kind of return are you getting on your investment of time? Uh, How many leads or transactions are you getting out of that, say, per year? I'd say I get about three per year specifically from that. Now, indirectly, do I get some? I'm not certain, but definitely I'd say three. But, you know, there's a, a purpose beyond it. What I, what I think is really neat is a lot of these are young businesswomen. And in that group, I have watched them go from not being able to get business to having so much business that they can't get to launch all the time. So that's a really cool thing. You know, like I've seen them, like there's a, a gal who has a, a cake business. Um, there's a gal who has a chocolate business. There's a gal who has a winery. Well, they hooked up. So, you know, they're all helping each other. Our accountant has gotten lots of business from this group. Our attorney has gotten business from this group. So it's, it's nice. It's women helping young women get themselves going. So it's, it's just a really nice thing to watch. Do you have any advice for an agent listening who's thinking about putting together parties for their past clients? Any advice uh, for anything that we haven't talked about yet to get started and make it work right? Well, I think what they have to not be afraid to get started and not, it's not going to be perfect. It's never perfect. Sometimes people sit around and plan things to death and then they never do it. So, you know, I think you want to start where you're comfortable. If you're a new agent and you don't, you don't have a big database, have it in your house. If you had 20 transactions, have them come over to your house for dinner. How nice is that? You You invite them to your home. Um, or if there's, if you can't do that or you don't want to do that or you don't have a house yet or, you know, really you're, you're a young agent, well, you could have a picnic somewhere. But you must call them. You must invite them and you must call them. So I would say, you know, you start small and, and grow from there. For planning purposes, what percentage of the people that you call will show up? You said your past client event, it's about 50%. How about your other events? Probably the same. Because there's a small, you know, we've broken into smaller groups, so probably about the same. Now, I know people have tried parties. They say, oh, no, nobody came. Well, you didn't call them. You know, you didn't stay on it. You just sent out an invitation. You can't do that. Liz, what I'd like to do now is talk about your team 
Could you do us a favor? Could you walk through and list off your your team members? A lot of people say, oh, I want a team, I want a team. Well, before you have a team, I think the first team member for me was a computer. <laughs> the second was a contact manager program. So I started in 88, and then they just began, we just began to do some of those things. I hired an assistant. I started in 88. I hired an assistant in 1991. And that was something, you know, not commonly done, but I thought, well, there's no way I can sit here and do all this paperwork and have this go right and, and get out there and meet people because that's the most important thing. So I had somebody that I hired who, who helped me with getting marketing materials done, getting the ads taken care of, keeping in touch with people while I was on appointments. And then, of course, you do that, then you get more business. Well, then I hired a second person. So I had somebody helping in the beginning, getting the marketing of listings, and then once things had went under contract, at the end. So I had two assistants and myself. So then I did that. So then 1999, I was in the business about 10 years. Then the internet hits and there are leads flying all over the place. And, and you know, you can't, you couldn't, couldn't catch them all. And right then, if you didn't, if you followed up on an email, then you got that lead because there weren't many, like there are now, there weren't all these websites. So I hired, I decided I wanted to have somebody help me do that. So that's when I went to Howard Britton training and learned about teams and talked to other agents and said, you know, how do you do this and what are you doing and how are you doing it? So then I hired my first buyer specialist. So I got myself organized. I had a database organized. I had two assistants and then I needed another agent. So my first agent was a buyer specialist. So then great. So then I I called Turkey then stopped working with buyers altogether. I worked only with sellers. He worked every buyer lead. And I, I, for me, I had to do it that way because I think I really needed to differentiate those tasks. And I wrote down our job descriptions. This is what I do. This is what you do. Um, and then, of course, we got more business. So then I hired another buyer specialist who just focused on the Internet calls and cold calls, all the like lead calls on signs, calls on ads. And then the warmer referrals went to my first buyer specialist till the second one was trained, and then we shared those. And it's always a week on, a week off. Like, you can't look at every lead and decide who's supposed to get it. I don't do that. Whomever's on that week gets that call or that net lead. The warm buyer leads, I just take turns, spread them out. That's it. Your turn, your turn, your turn. Because you can't sit down and, and do that. You've got to have a system ready. So then after I had a second buyer specialist, then we got more business. So I thought, well, you know, I don't want to do all these listings myself. So then I taught my first buyer specialist to also list. So that kind of process continued. So now we have myself. I, we're, I'm the team leader. I work only with sellers. I organize the marketing, organize the events. All of our expenses are on QuickBooks. So all I have to do is look at it. And if anybody's familiar with QuickBooks, you have a, a column of expenses. You have a column of what you spent this year versus last year. So at a quick glance, you can tell if you're on task or not. So I do that. Joanne, our assistant, our, we call her our client care manager, takes care of listings in the beginning, getting them, creating the visual tour. We have a photographer who takes our pictures. She does the visual tours, improves everything, makes sure it's right, gets all the marketing in place, contacts the sellers, introduces herself. She has a checklist that she works off of. 
So we have myself and two selling and listing partners who work with buyers and sellers. And then we have a buyer specialist who also, also does our social media. Over time, now we'll get more business. And, you know, I don't want to do all the listings. I want to share that with them. Other people don't do it that way. They control all the listings. But I think they need to, you know, give a man a fish and he can eat, but teach him the fish and can eat forever. So I want them to be able to do all that. So ultimately, then what I perceive myself doing is stepping out of more of the hands-on role and doing more prospecting. Because if I could, if I prospected for three or four hours every day, that would explode. So I can't do that and do everything else I'm doing. So I think if I progress into that and then they handle more of the other part, we'll move along even more quickly. So it's team leader, myself, I work with sellers, two buying and selling partners, one buyer specialist, an assistant that works for us and only for us handling the front end, and then our company, we subcontract the closing coordinator through them. I have somebody that does our photos, and my husband does all the signage. We don't take them down or put them up or put up open house signs. He does all that. So you just have to break down what are the things that occur in a day that need to get done. And if you're an agent and you have a license, you need to show homes. You need to list homes. You need to follow up leads. You need to write contracts and negotiate. Everything else that you can defer to somebody else should be deferred. Otherwise, you won't be able to do enough business. So that's the, that's the scoop. What I really find interesting about your story there is that for the first 10 years of having a team, you had two administrative assistants and you were doing all the sales. And that built up then to the point where you could no longer handle all the sales. And that's when you start to bring in your buyer specialist and listing specialist. Correct. Correct. Because I, I think, you know, and maybe it's just me, um, people do things differently, but I think you, re- you really have to take yourself to the point where, hey, I can't do it this way anymore. I need to change this. Because I think people sometimes try to buy the market and then they're, they get in trouble and they're out of business. So, you know, you, you've got to get everything going. And then when you can, you know, you have a platform that you can bring people on, then, you know, you're ready for them and then they can be successful because they must be successful in order for you to be successful. You know, everybody has to work together. Right. And by taking that step where you bring in your admin folks first, it allowed you to stay in the high dollar productive activities for as long as possible and keeping that whole team profitable and healthy and moving along. And then eventually you brought in more folks to help with with those high dollar productive activities, the working with the buyers and sellers. I think that was a, a really smart move. Did you do that on purpose or did it just happen that way? I did it on purpose, although I didn't foresee, um, initially, I didn't foresee a team with four agents. Um, I, I just assumed it would just be two of us. But as it grew, I thought, no, they can't just be two of us and have a life. So, and then at the same time, you know, if you can get more business, why not? It's just, you know, I can't, why wouldn't you want to do that? So, and then, you know, you bring, I really liked um, bringing new, new, new people um, into the business. I guess because I was a teacher, I guess that's why. Do you recall, glancing back for a minute, before you brought in anyone to help with the sales side, when it was just you and two administrative assistants, do you recall what type of production you were doing at that point? The biggest year, in 1998, 
I remember thinking like maybe 1997, I was thinking about a team and I'm like, ah, oh, I'll just hang out here a little bit longer. I, I, I want to see if I can sell a hundred, do a hundred transactions. I was like, I'm just going to see if I can do that by myself with assistance. I thought, oh, I'm going to do that. So in 1998, I did 95 by myself. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but this is really <laughs> stupid. So, because I, like, I like to set goals and reach and challenge myself, but I thought, no, this is dumb. So at that point, I thought, I, got to, I have to do this differently. So when I got to that point, uh, to me, that was a saturation point, and uh, I had to change. So I did. And now I try to anticipate the change prior to hitting the wall. Because, you know, you want to get close to the wall, but you, you don't want to hit it. Hitting, hitting it hurts. So I did that once. So I haven't done that again. I've anticipated, okay, we need to do this. Because you, you learn to anticipate in the beginning. You just don't know. Would you mind disclosing to us the compensation structure for your buyer agents? No, not at all. I mean, it depended on where they were coming from. Initially, my first buyer agent had no sales experience. He was a policeman very personable, high energy, good communicator, but had never sold a thing. So he, for a while, he just trailed me and did it with me. And what we did is I started him at 35% for the first 10, then 40% for the next 10, and then 50% for the next 10. And then any lead I gave him was 50. Any lead he brought in was 60. Now with that, I was doing over time, then I did some insurance and a 401k program. So we we had some more advantages that I would pay for to um, keep people thinking like a business. So like, uh, but my last buyer specialist had sales experience. She had two years sales experience. So I started her at 50 because she knew how to sell. I didn't have to teach her. And then anything she brought in was 60. Is that where you are now? If you have an experienced person and you bring them in, did you say your leads are at 40% or 50%? 50. 50. If I hand them a lead, a warm lead, 50. If it's from their sphere of influence or they warm up a, a, a net call, it's 60. And then I pay for everything. I pay, I pay for the marketing assistance, transaction coordinator, parties, events, all, all that's on the company. So their net to them is their net. And you're also providing a health insurance and a 401k plan? Yes, to our assistant and to one of my partners. The other two don't need it. So, yes, because I had, I had started out that way with a different team structure with different team members that needed that. And then two phased out, two phased in. And they stay with me a long time, mostly like seven years. David's 15. So we, we try to – I try to create an environment where they all do better staying with me than being by themselves. And it, and it seems to have worked. Are your agents, are they employees or independent contractors? They're independent contractors, but I am set up as a corporation. Are you profitable? Yes. I have tracked over the years now, and I'm putting in, including the insurance, 401k and everything that's paid for. Over the years, it could have been anywhere from a 50 to 60%. So you're making a 50 to 60% net profit margin? Yes. You said you're running as a corporation. Do you pay yourself a salary? Yes. Is that part of the 50 to 60% or is that coming out before that net number? I take it out. 
so that because that's money to me. That that's not an expense. I take I take that out. You've noticed over the years that number's gone up or down. Any recommendations for people on how to keep that number up? Well, I think people get stuck on. Uh, I think, unfortunately, I think our training in the very past, our our business has, was ego driven, which is really foolish. And people want to buy billboards and have their face on everything, and buy big ads for homes, and have a big glossy magazine that the ads that the homes go in, and that doesn't sell houses. So, you know, I think you have to learn in a listing presentation to explain to your seller that what sells a house is. Everybody working as a team, a good presentation, pricing and appropriate positioning in the market, and then following up every single league we can create, getting us on as many websites as we can get on, and, and using that because you can spend a huge amount of money on on magazines, and for goodness sakes, you know, it just doesn't work. If it did, I'd, it'd be great, but it, I don't believe that does. Liz, what drives you? I think at different times, maybe different things. I'm, I'm obviously from my background. I'm, I'm very competitive. I, I love games. I played basketball and softball and hockey as a kid, and I golf, and I love to play. And of course, I love to win, but I love the game more. So I guess what drives me is seeing how good we can be. And I think what drives me more now is seeing how good they can be. So every time I've had an agent come with us and then I listen to them on the phone or or see them in front of people and I look at how they started and how great they've become, I think that's what drives me now. So, because um, I mean, I, there's an age difference. Our youngest agent is 28. I'm 61 and we have everything in the middle. So I, I think it's, I, I look at them as kind of like uh, I coach kids and and now I coach agents and I think that's what drives me. And and now I just have, I always had a passion for the business, but now I think it's more just an intense curiosity because like, I'm just curious about what can we do next and and what else can we do to make this better? And gee, I wonder what everybody else is doing that's maybe better than what I'm doing and I can share something with them and they can share something with me. So I think now it's just, you know, the challenge of of what happens next because everything changes so very quickly now. Liz, why have you been so successful? Well, I think we keep tweaking it. Um, I've changed the way I'm doing this. Let's see, one, two, three, like four times. So you have to not be afraid of change, but adjust to it. I mean, there's basics that never change. So I, I like to learn new things. So I think that could be part of it. But I think our, the biggest reason we're successful is because we truly do make it fun. And... Clients like to be with people who are happy and upbeat, and so does everybody else. And, you know, sometimes people are, they do what they do for a long time, and they don't like it anymore, and it's obvious. And, you know, you just, if you don't like what you're doing, you need to do something else or change the way you're doing it. So I, I think basically we've done well because we're organized, we keep it upbeat, and we change when we need to. Liz, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? They need to write down everybody they know. They need to ask their relatives who they know. You need to make a database. You need to get in any networking group that you can. Go to any free event that you can. Belong to the chamber in your area. If you are a young agent, get on your high school alumni committee and then get face-to-face with all those people. Call them and say, look, I just wanted to, I know you might know a lot of realtors, but I want, to, want you to know that I'm in the business. 
And if you can send anything my way, I'd really appreciate it. And if you get in front of somebody and buy them a cup of coffee, you do it. It's basic old-fashioned networking. And then they should have a Facebook page. Um, in our area, Facebook is, is pretty big. People don't tweet as much here like in other areas. Um, I don't think as many people are on Twitter. Um, but they need to use social media also. And I would advise them against trying to buy the market. You know, don't borrow money and think you're going to put your face on a billboard and on a bus and people are going to know who you are because they don't care. You know, they need, they need, need to know you personally. And if they could mentor with somebody, that would be the best. That's the thing in, uh, in our business I don't think is done very well. Um, you know, often there's a new agent and they come and they go because they're not in a company that's mentoring them or helping them. You, you know, just doing floor time isn't enough. I think they... I think there's a lot of agents, um, you know, probably over the age of 50 who maybe aren't interested in these internet leads and they aren't interested in Facebook. And, and if a young agent helped them, you know, they could help each other, I think they would succeed better. So if they could find somebody they could follow around, that would be great. Liz, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Yes. I have to tell you what I missed was going to the Howard Britton seminars and listening to the interviews that he did. So I've really always wanted to be involved with a group of people doing this kind of thing because there are no secrets. People think what well, what you're doing is secret. You know, there's no secrets in this business. Everything's been done and you just tweak it. So I think the more we can share, the better the industry will be as a whole. And uh, I'm always happy to do that and happy to listen to what other people are doing and listen to their ideas and and tweak them to fit our market. So I I think things like this are great. Liz, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? I think people basically have to set a plan up. You know, first do do some research. Think about, you know, what's, what's my market like? What ideas can I get? You need to have a business plan. Decide what you're going to spend and what you can spend. Implement it and follow it. People think that in real estate you're going to become you're going to be this millionaire overnight, and and that's not the way it works. So it's it's just small things and small growth over time that I think can give you a fabulous business, and you can indeed make very good money if you learn along the way. So I think it's just uh, an education process that you are continually learning and educating yourself. So I think people need to keep an open mind and be organized and have some fun doing it. Well, Liz, your philosophy of making work fun has paid off. Keeping team members for seven plus years while keeping your profit margins between 50 and 60 percent is a testament to your sustainable model. Your focus on relationship building rather than ego-driven image advertising has resulted in a more predictable business and a stronger bottom line. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sells million-dollar luxury homes and is a billion-dollar agent. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. 
and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.